is recording. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> All right. Well, hey. You know, yeah. Tell us about your issues, Josh. You know, let's just go into issues. Welcome to Issues on Issues, a weekly podcast series brought to you by the team at Brilliance, where we share our take on all aspects related to the graphic novel industry. We discuss and debate current events within the comic community and allegorical themes illustrated in various creative works. Also, who are the new up-and-coming artists, and what are some timeless titles that everyone should know about? This is just a taste of what we'll cover. Stay tuned for more. Comic book creators, revolutionize your platform, supercharge your value, engage your fans like never before. Welcome to Brilliance. Current e-publishing models limit your access to readers, impose pricing restrictions, and offer tiny royalties. Brilliance is a new e-publishing platform. At Brilliance, crowdfund concepts, connect with your readers, set your prices, and enjoy royalties that endure. Let's establish this new paradigm together. Learn more at Brilliance.io. That's Brilliance.io. Sign up today to publish for free. All right. Well, I'm excited to get this going. Um, But before we get into this uh, episode, I'd like to take a minute just to introduce myself. So my name is Joffrey and um, my history with comics, uh, like many of you probably started when I was a kid. Um, I'm an 80s baby, grew up in the 80s, 90s. And back then I would travel with my family. We'd go down south on vacation, whether it be to visit our family or, or somewhere else. And we would always stop at gas stations and um, rest stops, and they would have circulars where you could get comics. And I remember, you know, I'd get comics. I, I liked Silver Surfer. My brother would get X-Men. And, you know, I used to love just read those comics. Uh, fast forward, you know, uh, we really, I really got into comics right at the height of the bubble. Um, some of you might remember all of the, the holograms and the foil covers and things like that. Um, but I, I distinctly remember it was uh, 1992. Uh, Image came out uh, with Spawn. And I can distinctly remember listening to Pete Rock's Yell Smooth Reminisce and uh, reading Spawn. Um, so those were just really good times for me. <clears throat> you know, you fast forward and... Um, we all kind of, not everybody, but many people drift away. I still enjoyed my cartoons and my anime, but comics kind of took a back seat for a while. And uh, it actually wasn't until uh, about five years ago where uh, Britt, as a gift, gave me a couple of tradebacks. He gave me, I believe it was Old Man Logan and Why the Last Man. And man, let me tell you, opening up those books and uh, reading them and seeing how far comics has come along, man, that, that, that lit a fire under me. And so I've been back into comics uh, ever since. So I greatly appreciate uh, the reintroduction that he gave me. And I'm excited to take this opportunity to, to do this uh, show with uh, two of my close friends. 
Uh, with that being said, Britt, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself and tell everyone how you got involved with comics. Thanks, Joff. It's funny. Uh, Joffrey says that I got him back into comics. He actually first got me into comics because he was really, really into it during the boom. And he was collecting everything like trading cards, action figures. At one point, he had every Autobot and I had every Decepticon. And we'd come over to each other's houses and battle and like have a big Transformer battle. Uh, so it wasn't really until though he gave me his extra Marvel trading cards that I really got into comics. Uh, you know, we were really into the X-Men and all the different characters that came out and then all the different forces, X-Force, X-Factor. And then, you know, from then on, we were just collecting everything, especially everything Image. We had uh, like number ones of like Savage Dragon and Young Bloods, and uh, you know, all these really great comics. And, you know, like most people, I had a little lull in there, but when I saw the Avengers where Thanos put his hand into the glove, I got right back into it. I, I dug into the crates and picked up Infinity Gauntlet. And, you know, I started just reading and I just been hooked ever since on all the genres that are out there. Uh, anything sci-fi, fantasy, I'm, I'm totally into it. I have a wide range of things, especially Avatar The Last Airbender. Don't judge me until you see it. It's awesome. <laughs> but uh, that's really where I am with it. Anyway, back to you guys. Brad, you brought it back, bro. You brought it back. All right, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little about your story. Thanks, Joffrey. I'm Chris, and um, I've known Joffrey since college. Um, I, I think I will share about comic books and my history with them is that when I was a child growing up, um, I really loved comic books, and they um, were really difficult for me to obtain. They're expensive. So in order to make money, I used to hang out at the arcade and become really good at fighting games like Street Fighter and bet quarters so that I could win and then take those quarters to buy uh, comic books, right? So, um, and I love them all, you know, Image, Marvel, um, DC, all, all the comic books. And I remember one day my grandmother knew that it was difficult for me to get comic books. And so she had found this bookstore in Philadelphia called Robin's Books. And it was one of those bookstores where you walk in and it's like dusty and the proprietor is sitting in this small chair surrounded by books stacked on tables and on floors. There's books everywhere. And you go upstairs to the attic. And this is like a row home that's converted into a bookstore. And so it's these narrow corridors. You're squeezing yourself all the way up there and you get to the top and there's this room. It's, the air is stale and um, there's comic books everywhere on the floor on the tables, in the cabinets, and shelves, just strewn up in like no type of organization. And the bookkeeper tells you, hey, for a dollar, you can grab as many comic books as you can grab. And you know, it's a little kid, I was just had like this little backpack, I just stuff it full of comic books, right? My grandmother would come with one or two dollars. Sometimes I've met really cool stuff, like old X-Men comic books and Iron Man comic books I'd never seen before. And then sometimes I get this really, strange and eclectic stuff like you know sketches and things like that it was just really cool so my collection of comic books is, is a hodgepodge i have the things that i purchased purposefully and then i have those things that i grabbed from that bookstore so many times um and it's just like now when i look back at this collection it's just it's incredible how much artwork and how many different types of artists that were out there it's amazing so i've always loved comics and I'm happy to be back here talking about them, talking about our passion. Um, I'm looking forward to this. 
There's never been anything like this. Hello, and welcome to the Highly Minded Podcast. We always say that low minds talk about people, average minds talk about events, and high minds talk about ideas. We talk about it all. Yeah. You already know. (laughs) Available now on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of your other favorite podcast platforms. All right, fellas, uh, let's get into some uh, current events. Chris, why don't you take us, start it off? What yeah, you got? yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, so I um, I came across this article that talks about Prey and some uh, some issues that disgruntled fans had with the movie. So if you're not familiar, Prey is the prequel to um, the Predator series. It's, you know, it's the most recent Predator movie that came out, and it was, you know, I think it was aired on Hulu. Um, and it features a, a female lead who is a, a, a member of the Comanche, and she and her um, and her, and her tribe have to deal with um, kind of dispatching a predator. And so the criticism that a lot of fans had, at least according to this article, around um, like the capability of the female lead being able to dispatch a predator had to do with the fact that. Um, you know, she did so um, using her environment and so forth. And um, the, the, the argument was that this was like maybe um, inconsistent with uh, Predator lore and, and canon. And that um, when you go back and look at maybe some of the original Predators, that Arnold Schwarzenegger's, Schwarzenegger's character from the original Predator, um, you know, had a very different way of dispatching the Predator at the end of the movie. And so the director of Prey kind of takes on the criticism kind of directly and and basically um, responds by saying, hey, like a lot of people just kind of have forgotten exactly how Arnold Schwarzenegger's Schwarzenegger's character um, was able to overcome the Predator in the movie. And in fact, um, these two movies are more similar than they are dissimilar and that, um, you know, some of the things that his character had to develop, skills that his character had to develop throughout the course of his development um, were skills that were innate to, um, to 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 the lead in prey, and so you know, all in all, I think that um, what we see here, at least in this article, kind of depicts the 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 fan the fan comments as maybe having issues with um, just a strong female lead um, in a traditionally male dominated franchise you know most of the predator movies have always been mostly male and females have been um not featured as lead characters in those movies um for the most part with the exception of probably predator versus alien and um and i think we you know we've seen this i think in, in a few other um franchises recently where you know um people seeing their the, the traditional characters be placed with other characters um having a hard time accepting diversity in in those roles so yeah 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 this is just crazy it's absolutely crazy you know i mean what are they if anybody watched the first predator i mean what are you talking about what are you talking about it's complete ludicrous right Uh, in in, in fact and i don't i don't want to ruin it for anybody but um there is a scene in prey where it actually does do a very non-so-subtle nod to the Arnold Schwarzenegger scenes from the original Predator movie when 
when the the lead character in Prey, she um, she encounters kind of a um, what is it like? A, it's not maybe it's like a mud mud pit. Um, you know, while she's engaging the predator, and if everybody remembers from the original movie, this is a critical element. Everything in your body was like, "Yo, the mud, the mud right. is the key." Right, <laughs> but, she does, but but it, it, it plays out differently um, in this movie than I'm not going to ruin it, right? But it does play out differently in this movie than it does in the original. But you know, there are scenes in this movie that are like, "Hey, like we are recognizing that there are some similarities to how you engage a predator, and we've been faithful to that." Um, throughout the entire franchise, and so, um, so these fans are—I think their claims are baseless, and and really they're just you know upset that it was like a, a female lead. And it's funny because even Prey, in that character herself, she she deals with yeah similar challenges within the storyline. Yeah, there's a lot of things I would like to say about this, but you know, I know we got to go move ahead. on to the next topic. Go ahead, but, I'm, I'm, I'm done. done. I'm done. So I got five minutes. I'm done. So go ahead. Now you got like thirty seconds left, yeah. but anyway, uh, um, okay. I, I was just I was just gonna say that you know I, you guys know I love female uh, protagonists in action roles, and I mean there's there's like uh, classics. There's so many classics female leads. You know you got Sigourney Weaver. I know Brit's probably not the biggest fan of Katniss, but I I really liked her. Um, you know there's just so many that I could I could think of. Um, any and even in the Alien the Predator franchise, you had um, Snyder Lathan. Um, she was right there. And that's not probably one of my top 10, but, you know, I definitely think there are strong uh, female characters. Um, but I don't know if you have anything to say about that, Britt, before we move on to the next one. Now, uh, the actress is Amber Midthunder, uh, and she got on my radar first from the FX show Legion, which, you know, Legion is, you know, uh, Professor X's son. And that was like a really out there weird show, but I thought it was really cool. Um I don't know if she was really great on that show, but I think she really embraced the role in this. Uh, yeah, she was you know, dope. Fanboys are, yeah, fanboys are just butthurt. And, you know, to be honest with you, the Predator franchise, you know, aside from the first one, has kind of been hit or miss. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, until Prey came along and kind of put the whole, you know, paradigm on its on its head. But, I mean, you know, if if they're if Predator fans are upset about this movie, then they they aren't really fans, in my opinion. This was like the the best movie since the original. It was very good. Agreed. Yeah, yeah I agree. All right, Britt, what you got for us? All right, so yeah, so um, comicbook.com just reported that the Spawn movie that is actually going to be directed by Spawn creator Todd McFarlane uh, has just added a new writing team, or I should say replaced their original writing team and gone with a new writing team. Um, So they're going with Scott Silver and Malcolm Spellman. Um, Scott Silver is, you know, he, his claim to fame is Joker, uh, like a very low budget, gritty personal film. Uh, And I think that's what they were going for when they selected him as the writer. And then Malcolm Spellman yeah, is is the uh, showrunner and creator of the Falcon and Winter Soldier, amongst other things. Uh, he's done like you know, uh, I want to say Eight Mile, and hmm. um, you know, just he just kind of brings that you know, black cachet that I think that McFarlane, you know, as a creator who as a white man who created a black character in Spawn, um, he needed you know I think he wanted to have some authenticity to that. 
So anyway, that's basically what it is. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I'm excited about what you're saying. Um, I'm excited to see what Jamie Foxx can do with the character. I think, you know, I, I like the actors that can show breadth in um, the roles that they play. And I think um, Jamie Foxx has done that. So I'm excited to see if he takes this role seriously, which I think he is. And if they, they bring on writers like they have for the Joker uh, or, or Joker, um, that that can be a really compelling movie uh, much better than the first one that's for sure yeah and i think that's what they're going for here um i think jamie is an interesting casting choice uh because he has that range where he can be very serious and kind of very introverted into himself especially uh i forget the movie where he was like the he was like a piano savant or something like that yeah robert downey jr but you know yeah he you know jamie can do those types of roles where he kind of kind of plays like a savant like or, or or someone who's kind of really dealing with internal struggle um and, but he also plays the comedy stuff too you know uh so mm-hmm. he can kind of do both um and i then would love Chris, for him to go know. like straight serious on it like you know like like ray kind of just just go into that the character of spawn like joker you know like take it serious and and leave all the funny stuff and and you know even the action you know kind of just just I would love to see that the character of Spawn develop and they were talking about it's going to be more of a horror kind of thing they were going for is that right yeah I mean I think you guys you guys are kind of like teasing it out right but I mean that's my my concern is like I don't know if Jamie you know can 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 take the the comedic edge out in a way that like a true horror movie is going to require, you know, I, I think, I hope he does. Right. I mean, I think, I think we'd all like to see that. We think we know he's capable of it, but um, he does bring that levity. Even, even in some of the more serious roles, he does allow, sometimes allow that levity to come through. And, and, and hopefully for this one, um, he can take like kind of look a little bit of the darker, darker angle. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I mean, you know, I mm-hmm. think you can have funny parts in, in, in scary movies too. And Chris, you pointed out too that uh, he's gonna Jamie's actually gonna have a uh, uh, supervision over his his lines or some part. He's gonna be in some sort of way a script supervisor. So yeah, yeah, he's really involved in the project. So you know, I, I like that he's taking it seriously. Yeah, I like that. I like the the reason that they wanted to involve him too, right? Which is that the the lead himself is is African American and. And spawn and and they wanted to build some authenticity into the role um and they thought that maybe it's worth taking a look at who is um consulting and or helping with the writing of that character and developer development of that character's script to make sure that um you know they they, they get it right yeah yeah i'm excited to see how that what they do with that you guys know I, I, that's I, one of my favorite characters from childhood so we'll see yeah. I just want to say, you know, and I'm just curious to you guys. I noticed that in the article they said that you know, Joker was a very um, successful rated R movie. Is it is it common for rated R movies not to do so well because of their rating in the, in the theater? Is that is it is that what it is? Like you you want to kind well, of? Well, I think it, well, more, more than like anything, that? more than anything, Joker for its budget like exceeded its budget so many times over that that's why it was really successful. Because it was it was it wasn't a very big budget movie, and you know, obviously, rated R movies, you know, especially comic book movies, 
a lot of your audience is going to be, you know, kids and people like that. So I think they were kind of worried about parents, you know, bringing their kids or not bringing their kids to that movie. I'm pretty sure when I saw it, there were kids in the movie theater, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was hugely successful. So I think people are trying to, you know, ride that coattails or ride, you know, that wave. Yeah, I think okay. it's definitely evolving. That I think that used to be the the thought, um, but they're they're seeing that there's a large adult um, a fan base that will go to an R rated movie, and that's what they want to see. You know, you look at some of the the animated films that DC puts out; and they're they're pretty edgy, you know. Um, so. I like the fact that they kind of will embrace something like that, even though this is image. I'm, I, I like what um, DC is doing uh, with the Batman and, and Joker and just, just go all in, you know, be true to the characters and let it play out. What is the name of the most recent Spider-Man movie? Is it No No Way Home? Is that what it's called? Yeah. So how did you guys feel about Jamie Foxx and that? It was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, you know, and I feel like they actually they redesigned his character because in, in the like Sony movies with Andrew Garfield, he was kind of like, like a befuddled kind of scientist who was, you know, who was kind of a dweeb and, you know, kind of frumpy and, you know, kind of like a, a social outcast. And this one, he was a cool guy, you know what I mean? And, you know, he knew it was up and, you know, he had a plan, he had motivations beyond just, you know, taking over the world like you know and he had some cool moments he thought spider-man was black (laughs) i thought that was dope (laughs) (laughs) all right well i'm gonna move on to my topic um and what i was looking at was um i don't know if you guys looked in the the recent headings but um armor wars is going to be a feature-length movie instead of uh, uh, a show on disney plus and so people are looking at it. They're excited for Don Cheadle, um, that the character and the actors are, are, are getting more um, attention. So they're looking at it as a promotion. But my perspective is a little different. I actually, I like the fact that maybe there's going to be a big, bigger budget for Armor Wars and um, maybe some more action scenes. But I like the shows because... Think about the amount of time, the amount of hours that you get to spend with that character and watch the slow character development. I enjoy that. So I feel like I'm going to miss out on that kind of relationship that, you know, um, Rhodes might build with uh, if Riri is going to be in it. Um, I just wanted to see more of the character development that might have taken place in a in a series versus a, a show. But I'm interested to hear your guys take on it. I mean, honestly, I, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like we've pretty much got a good hold of what the character Rhodes is. Um, I am excited to see what Riri is, but I, it looks like Riri is going to have a, a a couple of movies arc where she's going to appear in Black Panther and then in Armor Wars. So she's mm-hmm. going to have like an arc of kind of disappearing. So and she has gonna, she's going to have I, her own show too, right? Yeah, and then they're going to do the Ironheart show too. So you know, I, I think that, I think that's going to be we're going to assess out that character. So um, you know, I, I'm excited because from what I understand is they made it a movie because the rumor is Robert Downey Jr. is going to appear in it, and he doesn't really do TV. 
<laughs> so they had to make a movie. <laughs> right. And he's going to be uh, the AI voice of, you know, one of the suits, whether it be Rhodey's suit or maybe even the Riri suit. Yeah, I mean, if if, if uh, Robert Downey Jr. comes back, I mean, that's an instant hit, right? It's an instant hit, you know? That's just a license to print money. I mean, you know, he's yep. like, I feel like he... <laughs> He, I mean, he he owns a small island. I want to say with the amount of money he made from just Avengers movies, and he earned it. He earned it straight out. You know, there would be no MCU without Robert Downey Jr. So facts, yeah. Just, just real quick, what what is Armor Wars about? So, uh, in the wake of Tony Stark dying, right? There's a lot of people who are like, you know, trying to fill that void. And a lot of people are fighting to like procure his secrets and get his armor or, or develop the next set of armor that's going to be like revolutionary. And I think it's kind of like just basically like a like a, a, a like an escalation of aggression, like, you know, like war stockpiling and people are just trying to figure out who's who's going to be on top of the tech race in the future. And I think, you know, Rhodey's going to try to police that a little bit. And obviously Riri's going to be in there because. She has a loose Stark suit just running around. So I'm sure people are going to want to, you know, investigate her or talk to her about that. So I think it's going to go into that sort of stuff. Ah, cool. Gotcha. I wonder how Terrence Howard is feeling about all this. You know, he says he's cool with it, but I mean, there's got to be part of him just like kicking himself. So I don't uh, know. I think he's good. I think he's got Empire, you know. True. Who do you think, like, if, if if Terrence Howard had a chance to play out the role, do you think he would have been better than Don Cheadle? Not necessarily, because I don't think they give Rhodes much anyway. Yeah, they didn't. They don't. They don't really let Don Cheadle stretch his wings. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Which is why I was looking forward to seeing what he could do with the series. Now he's going to be the, you know, he's probably going to be first on the call sheet for a movie. Yeah. An MCU movie. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and dive into Injustice. Um, yeah. So, you know, I thought this was a great. Uh, book to to lead off with as it has some of the themes that we were talking about um, from Irredeemable. But the main thing that we, you know, I thought that we can discuss um, is the concept of ends justifying the means. And um, Mm -hmm. what what is acceptable? uh, What is okay? You know, knowing right from wrong, is it truly right? Is it truly wrong? Is is this acceptable? and I thought Injustice, and we're going to just focus on year one, um, which was a crazy, crazy story. Um, just kind of getting your you guys' thoughts on. Uh, well, well, yeah, think, just just for, for those who don't know, Injustice is like a, a alternate timeline from the DC Universe where the Justice League are, are kind of torn apart. There's a, a, a big event that happens in the beginning. Do we, do we want to just go into spoilers on it? Yeah, you might as well. Right. So, spoiler alert, spoiler yeah. alert, everybody be aware. Yeah, so some, a theme that all of us can relate to, me right now, particularly, you know, becoming a father and, you know, what you would do when you have a family. And um, in the beginning of the issue, Superman finds out that Lois Lane is pregnant 
And, you know, he's really excited. And actually, the first person he goes to tells is his best friend, Batman, <laughs> a.k.a. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> he asked him to be the godfather. Um, so, you know, Superman is all giddy. He's all butterflies. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and Lois is, you know, doing her thing, still doing her reporting thing. And she actually gets a tip to go to a dock to really report a hot story. Turns out that the Joker is there and he sets up, he places a bomb on Lois Lane. And basically, uh, long story short, uh, he gets Superman to kill Lois Lane uh, by uh, by using uh, Scarecrow fear toxin to make him think that Lois Lane is a bad guy. And then when Lois Lane dies, the bomb uh, is triggered and it actually blows up Metropolis. So not only did he lose his city, but he loses his wife and his and his unborn child. And from there, Superman goes on a deep, deep, dark spiral that kind of breaks the Justice League apart. <laughs> Just a yeah, quick recap. That's, that's a great recap. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, but you know, you would think he would be mourning uh, his loss, um, and he he does for a split second, but. He quickly takes his, you know, pain and finds some constructive way of channeling it and coming up with a solution so that other people don't have to experience what he went through. You know, you, you notice that he, he doesn't really just mourn for a year and kind of sit there. He he quickly decides, I'm not going to let anybody else feel this pain, you know, and I'm going to take my power and make a difference. I, I felt like and, and, that's necessary. You know, how, how, how did he, yeah, go how, just real quick, Joff. How, how did he go about, what was his solution? He told everybody they need to stop fighting or else. Oh, authoritarianism. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. What are you about to say, Chris? No, I, I think it's the same thing, right? It leads into it. Like, I think it was just a pretest. Like, he, I think this is something when I, was, I was alluding to earlier. You know, you don't, you don't know anybody's morality system until, until it gets tested and then you know it. And I think for him, you know, he had been sitting back and he goes, one of the things that happens in that story is that he reveals who he is, right? He's like, hey, look, I've been living amongst you guys as Clark Kent, but, you know, that's not who I am. You know, I'm I'm Superman. And I, I think that when he embraces that, he also embraces his own morality system, which is like, I've been enduring your way of life for long enough and it doesn't work for me now. And it's impacted me. And what I really want to see is my brand of you know of society which is you know no tolerance um for any type of violence or skirmish or war and you know and we'll quell it by force if necessary right extreme force too you know he does some horrific things throughout throughout this throughout the book yeah all in the name of you know peace and so yeah but i think i think he's still the Smallville raised idealist, you know, he sees he's creating peace, you know, uh, I think Wonder Woman also, you know, coming from, how do you pronounce it? Thymer Siri? I can't pronounce it. Um, that place. Um, you know, they, she also, she likes to fight though. So there, you know, she, she's all about the fight, but she, she believes that this will create peace, you know, and they're being naive and I think Batman, you know, in his jaded ways and dealing with the hardships that he's 
you know, was born into almost, you know, or, you know, experienced younger, earlier in his life, he understands things are a little bit more complicated. And, you know, the second part of what they're doing, the ramifications, which they touch on, you know, when he talks to the president later on in the book, you know, you know, you can go through all these actions to create peace, but then you have to maintain the peace. And how do you go about maintaining the peace? And that's the part that, you know, seems like, you know, is Superman fully aware what he's getting himself into? Um, and obviously he decides to go down that path, but I think his intent is really, I'm just going to tell people to stop and they're going to stop and I'll, I'll, I'll fight these bad actors. But, you know, as, as human nature, you know, we kind of all want our, our freedom and, um, you know, he's going to be doing more work trying to maintain and end up becoming the dictator. Yeah, yeah I, I think one interesting thing about this story, again, is, again, the juxtaposition between Superman and Batman, where Superman is, is trying to push his agenda by force. Whereas, you know, Batman, again, he, he suffered, you know, similar trauma. He lost his family all in one night. Uh, and he had a lot of time to kind of grow up and kind of feel through that pain and kind of come to uh, his, his resolution. And what his resolution was is to control people through emotions, <laughs> whether it be fear <laughs> or whether it be, you know, uh, maybe charitable contributions by Bruce Wayne. And I feel like we kind of get this kind of uh, dichotomy where one person is trying to win hearts and minds or maybe even put instill fear in hearts and minds while the other person is just trying to just, you know, use force to just, you know, take what they want. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to say who's right and who's wrong, especially in this story. Um, but I, 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 I find it very interesting that even though Superman has all the force in the world, he still isn't really able to capture people's hearts and minds. And it's really, it's a really a, a uphill battle for him to try to instill or, or install the kind of order that he wants. Yeah, well, I think there's an inescapable truth that everybody is constantly reminded of with Superman, which is that he's not one of us, right? I mean, that's I think that's a big piece, right? I think that if you have a leader that you need to follow them, you need to identify with their values and you need to be able to identify with them. And I think that a lot of times Superman represents things within the DC universe that are aligned with people's values. But when he does his feats, you know, even when he's heroic, it, it definitely is a far departure from what any human is capable or even other superheroes are capable of doing. And I think that that reminder gets highlighted when he is imposing his, his brand of justice in, um, in this storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, but they also some on the flip side, they also always try to make him out to be part of the American story, right? You know, anybody can be an American, you know, you can be from wherever, but you come here, you grow up here, you learn our culture, you learn our ways, and you too are American, right? And you see that a lot of times in his theme, and that's why he always supports the, you know, the red, white, and blue and things like that. You know, he views himself as an American, you know? For sure. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, if there's ever a hero, well, other than Captain America, if there's ever a hero in maybe... The DC universe that's synonymous with America, it's definitely Superman. You, you know, when you think about the theme of the ends justifying the means, at least in Injustice Year One, 
you also have to think about a couple other actors, right? You think about Lex Luthor and the creation of that that pill. Mm. And mm-hmm. you have to think about Joker as well. So like, now this is a little bit of a side, but J- Joker kills Lois Lane and Superman's child. But I mean, we've seen in many different parts of like comic book world and, and anime and just fantasy that, you know, God, human or alien human hybrids have never actually been fortuitous for humanity. A lot of the times, some, sometimes there are some key cases where that's different, but you know, a lot of times they end up being more monstrous, more powerful, more destructive. Is there an argument to be made that Joker, because if you, if you take the extent, if you extend the argument around Lex Luthor's pills and what the effect of giving those powers to people who may not have the same moral compass as Superman, then you might also have to. Why don't you just explain a little bit about Lex Luthor's pills for those that might not know? Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know it that well, but I, I, from what I, my my read of it, he created a pill that gives you superpowers, right? Like a thousand times stronger than a normal human, and I think the idea is that it's a, it's a, um, it levels, it, it kind of levels the playing field against superpowered people like Superman. So by taking this pill, you're able to stand your ground against someone like Superman, and you know that that he creates it. There's a limited quantity. Um, Batman makes another decision later on to synthesize it. We we don't know how secure Batman synthesized you know product is and whether or not it can be copied mm-hmm. again. But you know if you if you go back and you think about what if Lois Lane had a, a baby and something else happens, like can can society support two superpowered characters like that? Should there be more than one Superman? You know, I, I think that these are other questions. I, I'm pretty sure. Joker didn't act with any kind of intention, but um, it is definitely one of the other questions that comes up as a subtle question in the back of the story, which is like this idea of like, what should Delta's power be concentrated in the few? That's interesting. I never thought about that. That's, that's a question that, you know, I feel like, again, this book opens up so many doors, so many questions. I, what I thought you were going to say, Chris was uh, more to the, you know, Batman Joker, uh, you know, parallel where, you know, maybe if Batman wasn't like so soft on the Joker, maybe, maybe he wouldn't be around to go ahead and continue to create such carnage and havoc, you know, you know, cause Superman, when, you know, when he came in and he saw Joker, it was just lights out. Like, you know, he decided to just punch him through his abdomen (laughs) and just aired him out. That's the point that (laughs) Superman makes. He's like, you know, why did you let this guy keep going around and around? You know, this is your fault. You you let this happen to me. Why did you let this happen to me? You know, he clearly mm-hmm. states that. Uh, so that's interesting. But I also thought you were also going to make the point that, you know, along, along the theme of ends justify the means, you know, you can make that argument. Did do the ends justify by the means for what Joker did, right? If if you if you can say that this was always Superman's nature and this was going to happen at some point, you know, does the fact that Joker did this to bring it, you know, to wake up everybody, wake up. This is the reality. This guy is, and you can't trust him. This is what he's about. And in order, in order for me to show you that I'm going to do these things, which are horrific, you know, kill millions of people in Metropolis. I'm going to kill this woman and the baby, unborn baby, you know, so that you can see the truth of who he really is. And as a result, put up a defense before 
why you still can before it's too late. I mean, I don't like to your point. I don't think he was fully thinking that, but it's an interesting underlying concept to, to think I mean, about. Your point's a little different, and I I think that that Joker does allude to that that point, right? He does say something like, "Oh, like I, I can't remember exactly what he says, but something like you're going to see what it's going to be like now." Like when he's having that conversation with Batman, Batman's like, "You know, you took his family away from him," and Joker's just kind of like, right before he dies, he he kind of alludes like, "Hey, like he's going to transform." You guys are going to see something you haven't seen before. So it, it, it makes you think that he might have thought that at least that aspect of it through before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, no. It's all good stuff. That's time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you a comic book creator looking for a new or additional engagement platform for your community? Then come take a look at Brilliance. Brilliance is a blockchain-powered platform where authors can publish eBooks, crowdfund new creative ideas, and connect with their readers. With Brilliance, authors can set royalties that endure beyond the initial sale to include royalties on resale of the book. That's right. Unlike many other ebook providers, Brilliance allows users to resell their books on the marketplace, and with each sale, the original creator will receive their royalty payment directly to their account. Authors are free to price their works however they would like. Unlike other platforms, Brilliance does not pressure creators into pricing restrictions. By unlocking pricing, Brilliance allows for natural price discovery and a true relationship between the creator and their devoted readership. Additionally, by leveraging Brilliance's blockchain technology, authors can access all the readers who have owned their work or even works of a similar genre. This gives the authors an opportunity to build their own distribution lists, connect directly with their fan bases, and grow their unique community. There are many more benefits to this game-changing platform. Learn more and sign up by going to Brilliance.io. That's Brilliance.io. Let's establish a new paradigm. All right, how about we pivot and talk about some of these independent issues of interest to us? So the, the issue that I'm reading now is um, irredeemable. I'm going through the omnibus, but I wanted to just discuss uh, issue number one. You know, it was, it was just the start of this series. And um, so irredeemable, I, I didn't know too much about it. I just heard something about this series being pretty good. And there were, there were talks about um, making it into a, a movie or a series. And I said, oh, let me go check it out. And uh, it seemed interesting. So I picked it up. Um, it's by Mark Wade and Peter Krause. And the first issue pretty much just takes up where there appears to be a, a superhero who's trying to protect his family. And they're, they're trying to run, escape as if, you know, the mob is coming for him. And, and she, he's, he's stating how um, that this person looking for them knows everything about them and they have to, to you know, flee. And uh, basically this uh, superhero, su- Superman-like figure uh, who later becomes known as uh, Plut- Plutonian, the, the Plutonian, uh, comes down and basically 
destroys him and his family for the most part. And um, then there's kind of a, a flashback and where you see a team of other superheroes trying to put together, um, trying to fit together the, the pieces to understand um, why, who this guy is, who the Plutonian is, and why he might be doing this. And you know, obviously they're trying to work fast before it. Um, he finds them. And so they're kind of interrogating his partner and they realize that basically the Plutonian has lobotomized his partner so that he can't give away the secrets. Um, but, it, but in doing so, um, they come together and, and they, um, one of them creates a device that allows them to, to flee the scene um, just in the nick of time. And that's pretty much where the Plutonian shows up. Um, so that, that kind of starts the first episode. Um, the first issue, and, and you kind of see what what it's going to be about. They're going to be, you know, kind of hiding in the shadows, doing a little guerrilla warfare, trying to understand who he is, and um, trying to take down this basically uh, Superman-like figure. And um, I think it's interesting because um, I see a lot of uh, similarities between this and several other um, storylines that have been going on lately, and. Um, you know, it's just interesting to see when when these came out, did they all come around the same period, but why are they so um, relevant today? Um, but we have Irredeemable, we have Invincible, uh, which also has kind of a similar storyline. We also have um, The Boys, and then we also have Injustice. And, you know, I think it's some episode we'll do down the line, we can really dive into how all these uh, comics relate to each other. Um, but you can see an overarching theme of these good guys who maybe they weren't always good, um, but we all trust them. And for for whatever reason, they decide um, that things aren't working. They need to take matters into their own hands and, and they they kind of go to the dark side to to achieve uh, their goals. So I thought this was an interesting uh, first read and I'm excited to to work my way through this uh, this volume. I have irredeemable and incorruptible. And my understanding is that um, it kind of goes along the lines of all people that are good aren't all good and people that are bad aren't all bad. So it kind of talks about when when people with certain titles flip to the other side and, and how that can impact uh, various situations. Very interesting. I feel like it's very relevant these days. You know, um, everyone, uh, I feel like doesn't matter who it is, what celebrity, what uh, a politician, what you know, public figure. I feel like uh, everyone, like it doesn't matter how much they're beloved. There's probably a, a little sub set of people who are digging in, trying to find what is the story behind this person, like what's their deep dark secrets, and uh, you know, I feel like these stories kind of give us a, a really great allegory to when someone is squeaky clean or they seem to appear to be perfect. And then we actually look into that background and then we see that they're really not. And, and how, how do we react to, you know, that? Yeah. Yeah. Has anybody watched the, the new series of the boys? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. I mean, I, I watched like the first scene and I, 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 I couldn't. <laughs> yeah that person i think it's like it's about learning it's about learning people's morality right like you know there's what you think it is 
and what it appears to be. And then like when it gets pressure tested, it's what it actually is. Right. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's very different than maybe what, what you may have been expecting. And I think, I think we see that theme a lot. Right. And, um, I, I think that's a, it's a big human condition theme, right? Like, you know, you don't really know, um, how you're going to react to a situation until you react to a situation. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at brilliance.io, Twitter at brilliance.io, or you can visit our website, brilliance.io. And please like, share, and subscribe to our show to continue the conversation. This podcast was edited by Britt. Special thanks to him for putting this all together. At the end of stuff, I would like to do like a... um, like a prequel, kind of like a, um, here's a sneak peek of next week's episode. Now we know where unicorns be. <laughs> yeah, no, they got taken out early. Yeah, early. Dark Arc by Colin Bunn. Distributed by Aftershock Comics. But, um, just side note, for some reason, the turtle without a mask looks like, I just can't stop thinking about 50 Cent. But no. <laughs> <laughs> when you guys see the illustration, I'm sure you won't be able to unsee it either. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, written by Tom Waltz, Kevin Eastman, and Peter Laird, from IDW Publishing. Brian's kind of running around hysterical about the fact that he's dead, and she's just like, oh boy, here we goes another one. You can't go anywhere. You just gotta come, follow me. Grim, by Stephanie Phillips, distributed by Boom Studios. If there were ever a book that kind of is the quintessential book for a show called Issues on Issues, it's this one. And our main topic, Why the Last Man, by Brian K. Vaughn, distributed by DC's Vertigo imprint.